Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Let's turn in our book, in our Bibles, if we can, to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, this is going to be the last Sunday um, of our Ephesians series. We're wrapping things up today. Um, we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians primarily through the first part of this year. Um, next week, uh, Dave Swart, will be, it'll be his last Sunday here, and I've asked him to preach next Sunday. Um, so just bear with him as he cries his way through 35 minutes of teaching next Sunday. But come along to, to celebrate that. Dave and Kathy um, uh, served for many years on the eldership team, and God's called them to Columbus, and next week will be their, their last Sunday. And then following that, um, James, Nate, and myself will begin a five-week series through the book of Ruth. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Ruth uh, through the month of June and a little bit into July. So just giving you a heads up as to, as to where we are going. Um, I am going to try and do my best in the light of what God has already done, kind of try and confirm and, and cement some of the stuff that God has already been saying to us through the worship. And um, so just bear with me if it's a little bit choppy, but I'm going to try my best to, to pick up on God's heart. I don't want to just regurgitate my sermon, but try my best to pick up on God's heart. Um, this passage that uh, we're looking at today from verse uh, 10 through to verse 20 is a passage that many of us know quite well. And I think the danger can be when we come to a passage like this, we can approach it with some sense of familiarity. Oh, I've, I've heard a sermon before. I've read this passage uh, before. And, and, and I, I want to encourage us all just to, as best we can, to approach this passage with a fresh set of eyes. Uh, and, and also in the light of what's already happened during worship, I think God wants to confirm some amazing things in our hearts. Today's message is, is not a message about Satan and principalities and powers. It's, it's not a message about exorcism or possession or oppression or deliverance. It's, it's, it's not a message about territorial spirits, and I don't even know what territorial spirits are over cities, but it's not a message about that. This is a message about how we are called to stand firm and to stand strong when the devil does what he does the most, and that is lying to us, continually buffeting us with accusations and temptations to try and get us to doubt the truth of God's, of, of God's word and try and get us to doubt our position in him and, and, the, and the call that he has on our lives. I've added a video clip, that I, it's a four-minute video clip that I do want us to look at because um, this is a video clip taken from the movie The Passion of the Christ, which I'm sure most of you have seen. And this particular video clip is, a, is a, very, a very powerful one. I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice how Satan accuses Jesus in this movie clip. Um, it's this very subtle questioning of, what, of who Jesus is and what Jesus is called to. And the second thing I want you to notice is I want you to notice how Jesus resists the devil. Jesus shelters himself under the wing of the Father. And then Jesus eventually stands firm on what he knows the Father has called him to do. So, Bree, can you play the video, video clip for me? Kuma 
तेज राती शब्रेनी मेरे शेतर शे तमनु अलाय Isn't that powerful? 
My wife is exhausted after watching that. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplates of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmets of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should this text is part summary but also part final exhortation in Paul's uh, uh, particular letter that he has written to the church in Ephesus, and the, and, and the focus of this letter is the fact that we are citizens of heaven, uh, living here on earth. Paul wants to remind us, firstly, of a few things that God has done, and we need to just remember that as we land this particular series. Remember what God has done for us. He's, he's chosen us, he's loved us, he's adopted us, he's redeemed us, and he's forgiven us, and he's also filled us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, he's made us alive He's raised us and he's seated us at his right hand. He's included us as part of his family. We are citizens in the kingdom of God and we are also these building blocks that are being joined together to become a place in which God dwells by his spirit. And then he's rooted us and he's established us in his love and he's filled us to the, to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. But Paul doesn't just want us to remember what God has done. He also reminds us that there are some things that we need to do. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the letter takes this very significant turn where he says, walk out or walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Paul wants us to, to live out the reality of what Jesus has done in our lives. We need to put it into practice. And so with that in mind, he speaks about unity. He speaks about maturity. He speaks about Christian purity as we imitate Christ. He says that our relationships need to reflect the fact that we are kingdom citizens. And then finally, this one last uh, exhortation that Paul gives us. There's one last, and I would suggest maybe perhaps one last and most important thing that we are to do, and that is to be able to stand against the devil's schemes. The devil is absolutely opposed to the purposes of God. And the purposes of God for you and for me are to become more like Jesus. And so we mustn't be surprised that when God calls us to, to outwork and to, put, and to put flesh, and the, I mean the flesh in a good sense, to put arms and legs to the reality of who we are in Christ, to put action to who we are in Christ, we mustn't be surprised that the devil is going to do everything that he can to oppose that. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come just by osmosis. It's not going to happen passively. We need to fight for that which is already ours. 
And so Paul encourages us that we need to, to take up and we need to, to put on the armor of God. I want you to focus though, I want us just to have a quick look at verse 10. Because verse 10 for me, if we don't understand verse 10, then the rest of this uh, sermon, the rest of this passage becomes worthless. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord. The, 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 the greatest secret, or the, it's not even a secret, the greatest truth that, that I can share today is something which God has already emphasized through the worship. And that is that spiritual warfare is not about shouting and screaming. It's not about techniques. It's not about saying the right things. It's not about doing necessarily even doing the right things. It's about intimacy with Jesus Christ. Sheltering ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's, it's, the, it's the knowledge that because I am in Christ, and Colossians 3 says that Christ is in God, I know with absolute certainty that God has me and will never leave me nor forsake me. Being strong in the Lord is, 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 is reminding ourselves of the fact that because I'm placed in Jesus, he is my robe of righteousness. But not just that, he's the, the robe of authority that I have when I'm clothed in him. Proverbs 18, and I think Vanessa sang that song prophetically, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are safe. The reason why we can run into the name of the Lord, which is a tower, is because his name is the name above every name. Sometimes we can't do anything else but cry out the name of Jesus. And when we do that, we find strength. I remember so clearly when my dad passed away. We were um, in Denver, Colorado, three summers ago. And I remember getting the phone call from my mom that, he, that, my, that my father had taken ill. And within 24 hours, he had passed away. The great news is that he got saved four years before he died. Um, but I remember when I heard the news that he had died, I went for a walk straight away. And I just heard the accusation of the devil. You never did this. You didn't do that. Your relationship with him wasn't great. And all I could do was cry out the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All I could do. And peace came back into my heart again. Knowing that we are in Jesus is knowing that we, when we fight, we don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of Jesus having already achieved the victory. First Samuel 17 is that great story of David and Goliath. And I love teaching on that. And for so many years, I used to think that, that God was calling us to be David, that, that God was going to give us strategies, five stones and a sling to, to slay the giants that we face. But a couple years ago, as I was uh, actually studying that passage, I felt God change my thinking. And, and we're not actually David. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one who, who comes on our behalf and destroys the giants that we face for us. And we are called to be the people of Israel who stand back and watch Jesus achieve the victory. But then in the, at the end of 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites walk into and plunder the enemy camp. Friends, we need to know that, God's, that, that the victory Jesus has achieved for us is not just a theoretical victory. There are so many Christians, all Christians are, are victorious in who we are in Jesus, but so many Christians don't live out practically that victory in their lives. And so what we're going to look at today is how do we ensure that the victory that Jesus has achieved for us is practically outworked in our lives. 
And three quick things from this passage. We're not going to take long. Three quick things. Firstly, we're going to look at who we fight. Secondly, what we fight. And then lastly, how do we fight? And hopefully it's going to be nice and practical and we can take some things home with us today. Firstly, who we fight. Verse 12 says to us, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against other people, friends. Yes, sometimes evil does take on the force uh, or, or does take on the personality of people. Sometimes we, we, uh, we, we, we are opposing people, but it's not the person themselves. It's, it's the demonic force behind that person. Our battle is, against, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I wrote this paragraph down just for the sake of time, just to explain who the devil is. We fight the devil and his legion of demons. Satan hates God. And, the, and he hates Jesus, and therefore he hates God's people, and he opposes God's purposes. He attacks God's church by trying to get us to neglect God's word, bringing lifelessness, religion, indifference, apathy, persecution, and division. He attacks God's people through sickness, through legalism, through false teaching, through guilt and shame, and causes us to question the assurance of God's acceptance and, and the destiny for us by sowing doubts and spreading fear and bringing false teaching and evil thoughts and unforgiveness. He has great power. This is important. He has great power, and he's not to be taken lightly. There is a kingdom of spiritual beings, rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, who are under Satan and share his hatred for God and for his people. That's who we are fighting against. But the next thing we need to look at, and perhaps more importantly, is what's found in verse 11. What do we fight? And verse 11 says this, that we are to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. It's the devil's deceitful methods or his trickery. And that's what we are essentially fighting against. We're fighting against the schemes or the trickery or the deceitfulness of the devil. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we must not be outwitted by the devil. Some translations say, don't let the devil take advantage of you. And in the very next sentence, Paul explains how we, how we make sure that that happens. He says this, don't be ignorant or unaware of the devil's schemes. I'm not going to be focusing, I'm not going to be giving glory to the devil this morning. Please hear my heart. But we need to understand the schemes and the strategies that the devil uses that are found in God's word. The, one, the, the, the good thing that we have is that the devil is not creative. The strategies that he's used in the beginning of time are the strategies that he uses today. And if we can become aware of these schemes, we know, how, we know what they are, we can identify them, and then we know what we are called to do to oppose them. Essentially what the devil does is he lies to us. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what his name means. I think it's in, um, is, it in is it in Elf? Where uh, you're a liar and you smell like meat and cheese. You know that, that, that line? If you, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Elf, goes, he thinks Father Christmas has come and he goes, he, Santa Claus, and he you're, you're not Santa, you're not Santa, you're a liar and you smell like meat and cheese. The devil does not smell like meat and cheese, but the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of, of the way that he lies to us. His lies, I wrote this down, his lies are, are often subtle, but they are always 
consistent accusations and temptations that distort the word of God that cause us to question our position and God's promises. I'll just read that again. Satan's lies are often subtle, but they are always constant accusations and temptations that distort the truth of God's word, causing us to question our position and God's promises. Someone once wrote this. I, I love this quote. The devil doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh, but he leaves lies in your heart. We must know this, friends. The devil does not have the ability or the authority to turn a Christ follower into an evil person. He does not have that authority or or that ability. But what he does do is he looks for opportunities to get us to agree agree with the lies that that, that he bombards us with. He looks for an opportunity to cause our hearts in some way to resonate or to agree with the lies that he's speaking over us. And that's why we need to guard our hearts. Uh, The book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your hearts because it's from that place that the rest of life happens. I I found this out this weekend. Those who who are musical can correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently if you lift a, 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 a grand piano's lid up, Without playing on any of the keys, a person who can, is able to sing a perfect pitch can sing into the body of the grand piano and the, the string, is this right? I heard this was true, so maybe, even if it's not true, just follow my, follow my logic. I'm sure it's true. that you, If you sing a perfect pitch into the piano, as the string of the corresponding frequency will begin to resonate at that, at that pitch. That sounds feasible. Let's just, let's just say that that's real. It is real. Believe it, it's preached from the pulpit. No, no, no. And, but do you guys get the picture? Do you guys get the picture? If you sing a perfect pitch, it's not by playing the note. It's by, it's by the string resonating with that particular frequency. I think that's a picture of how the devil tries to attack us. He doesn't play the notes, but he, he, he brings, he bombards our hearts with lies and accusations. And he's looking for something in our hearts to resonate that will begin to agree with those lies and accusations. He's looking for things like bitterness and unforgiveness. He's looking for things like rage and fear and doubt and, and confusion. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, in the context of don't sin in your anger, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. Friends, the reasons why we need to guard our hearts, the reason why we need to deal with unforgiveness, the reason why we need to deal with rage and anger and fear and bitterness, the reason why we need to deal with doubt and loneliness is because if we're not careful, the devil will begin to bombard us and look for something that, that, we can, that we'll start to agree with him. That's how he gets a foothold into our lives. Guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Don't give the devil anything to work with. Don't give him anything. And I mentioned that often his attacks come in the form of accusations and temptations. I think, I think simply accusations and temptations are just the devil distorting the truth of God's word. When, God, when the devil tempts us, he's distorting the grace of God. When he tempts us to sin, he's simply distorting the grace of God. He's distorting the holiness of God. He's distorting the truth that God does not like sin, that God has a distaste for sin. This is not a comprehensive list of the way that the devil can tempt us, but maybe some of these things resonate with your heart. Maybe you can recognize some of these ways that the devil tempts us. And I, and I bring this list not 
not to scare you, but hopefully to make you aware of the devil's schemes. Listen to some of these. Maybe these sound familiar. The devil shows us the bait, but he hides the hook. I'm sure we all know that one, don't we? we he gets us to focus on the, on the immediate pleasure, but ignore the long-term consequences. I'm sure we all know that one. The devil sometimes gets us to rationalize sin as a positive virtue. I'm not nosy and I'm not a gossip. I'm just concerned about people. Sometimes the devil gets us to rationalize sin by comparison. They did it too, so that it justifies me to do it as well. Sometimes the devil gets us or presents to us a distorted picture of God's grace and a distorted picture of God's mercy. Grace means that you're forgiven. Sin is forgiven, therefore sin is in. It doesn't matter that I'll do it because God will forgive me anyway. Well, sometimes, we, that, that, sometimes Satan gets us to rationalize sin because we, he gets us to compartmentalize our lives. I'm on top of so many things. I'm, I'm, I'm victorious in so many areas. So it doesn't matter if this area is, is let go a little bit. We need to be aware of the temptations of the devil. He's distorting the grace of God. We need to be those who see a, the, the, the beautiful, majestic, perfect picture of the grace of God. And it comes, how? In the name of Jesus. When we gaze into Jesus' eyes, when we stand in the presence of Jesus, like we did this morning, that's when we see grace in its truth and in its fullness. Sometimes the devil accuses us. I think when the devil accuses us, what he's doing is he's distorting the love of God. And these are a couple of examples of how the devil can accuse us. He causes us to look more at our sin than at our Savior. Have you ever had that before where, you, where you've messed up and you, you've just, you've so focused on the, on, on the sin rather than on the Savior? Can I say, friends, when you mess up, effort and, and time are not going to heal your heart. Doing religious things are not going to deal with the sin in your heart. The way to deal with sin in your heart, again, and this is awfully simplistic, but come into the presence of Jesus and let Jesus remind you of how he sees you. Let Jesus remind you again of the fullness of his grace. How does the devil accuse us? He causes us to obsess over past sins or past mistakes that cannot be undone. I was teaching the guys in, in Canada this week that there's one thing about God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, there's one area that he is completely forgetful about. And this, this just kind of blows my mind. But God is forgetful about one thing. He's forgetful about our sin. The Bible says God remembers our sin no more. Why, why, why do we take so much time reminding ourselves and reminding him of the thing that he said he's forgotten? Satan accuses us by making us think that the tough seasons we going, that we go through is God's punishment for bad behavior. Have you struggled with that sometimes? I know I do. When I go through a tough time, I automatically think, well, it's because I forgot to pray the last couple of days. Or I've, you know, it's not punishment. Well, how about this one? The devil accuses us by making us think that we're alone in our struggles. If you were a real Christian, you would not behave that way. There is no one else in this church who goes through the things that you go through. 
There's no one else in this church who struggles with the things you're struggling with. I'm sure we've all had those accusations. We need to be aware of his subtle yet constant accusations and temptations. All right, lastly, the last couple of minutes, how do we fight this? Verse 13 through verse 20. Despite, I mentioned that the devil is powerful, but despite his power, he's not as powerful as Jesus. We know that to be true. And there is, there is victory for those who are in Christ. And the way that we find victory, the way that we walk into victory, the way that we appropriate victory, number one is that we become aware of the devil's schemes, but number two is we take up and we put on the full armor of God. That's what, that's what verse 13 through verse 20 says. And the, the, the thing I want to emphasize this morning is this, these are not, we're going to look at, six, at the six uh, 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 parts of the armor that are mentioned. We must not think of these as methods or strategies or formula. They are all relationally based. They are all empowered by the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I was taught this, I had been saved for about six months. I was going through a really difficult time, struggling with a bit of depression. And I went to my, at the time, pastor, and he sat me down and he said to me, this is how you are to put on the armor of God. Every morning, I want you to physically pretend to put on the shoes of peace. And I want you to, to get a belt and to, and to pretend to put a belt on. And I want you to get a helmet and pretend to put a helmet on. And being a young disciple, young follower of Jesus and of this guy, I happily did it. And I felt silly every time, kind of sitting on the end of my bed, pretending to put on shoes and, and buckling my waist with an imaginary belt. And, and, and for so long, the point is this, for so long, this became something of a method or a formula. That's not God's intent. Every one of us wake up in the morning and there are certain things that we do as second nature. We, we, we wake up, we grab breakfast, we take a shower, we put on our clothes, we, we grab a cup of coffee and our keys and our wallet and our cell phone and we walk out the door. We do those things almost as second nature and I think that's what Paul is, is wanting us to do. He's wanting us to become so familiar with the righteousness of Jesus. He's wanting us to become so familiar with the peace of God. He's wanting us to be so comfortable with the gospel that we, that we, that we are constantly wearing these things. Not familiar in, the things in, in terms of, I don't care about studying them, but familiar in that they are they're like a good pair of jeans or a good pair of shoes. They feel comfortable. They feel familiar to you. I think that's what Paul wants when, when uh, we, we, we look at these things. So think about that as we go through this list very quickly. Verse 14 and 15 mention, mention three parts of the armor that should be on us already. These are not things to put on when we face the battle. These are things that we do as a lifestyle. Number one, we, we are to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The belt of truth is this word, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel is not just the, the body of truth that gets us saved. The gospel is the body of truth that we, that we live by and we stand upon and we digest daily and we get the word into us so that we can live it out. That's the belt of truth. We need to be those, friends, and, I, and I'm not being legalistic when I say this, please, but we need to be those who are getting the word of God into us at every opportunity. We need to be coming to church on Sunday ready to be washed by the word. We need to go to connect groups ready to break open the word. We need to spend time, not, I mean, you find the time, but you need to find the time to digest the word of God alone with, with God. We need to get this into us, friends. 
its length and its breadth and its depth and its height. Every part of it needs to get into us. That's a lifestyle that we live by. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. This speaks of the the covering righteousness that is ours because of what Jesus has done for us. We are not righteous because we've done well. We are not righteous because of our performance or because of our behavior. We are righteous because of what Jesus Christ has finished on the cross. We are righteous because of his perfect life lived in full obedience to the word of God. That's the righteousness that protects us, friends. Notice the breastplate protects the heart, the seat of emotions. The devil will accuse you and attack your emotions. If you try to stand on your righteousness, you will come crashing down. You cannot oppose the devil by saying, I am righteous today because I prayed for an hour. Because the next thing the devil will tell you is, is one hour enough? Why was it an hour and 15 minutes? We stand on the righteousness of Jesus alone. The third thing are the shoes of peace. This is the peace that comes, that we have with God because we are saved. But it is also the peace of God that goes with us as we step out in obedience to his word. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says this, that the the peace of God must rule our hearts. That literally means the peace of God needs to be the umpire in our hearts. It's the peace of God that calls balls and strikes. What do I mean by that? I mean this. I mean when things are thrown at us, when things from the life are thrown at us, When people say things, when the devil accuses us, it needs to be the peace of God that identifies those things as that's of the devil, but that's not. That's of the devil, but that's not. It's the peace of God that calls the balls and strikes that that bombard us on a daily basis. And friends, can I say when we respond to the word of God, don't do anything if you don't have the peace of God. It's the shoes of peace. If you are stepping out into what God's calling you to do, do it with the peace that goes with him, that that he gives us. Sometimes God can call us, but it's the wrong time, and you don't have peace. Don't do anything until you have the peace of God. Verse 16 and 17, uh, nearly finishing. Verse 16 and 17 speak of three things that we ought to take up. Firstly, We ought to take up the shield of faith. I can't remember which song it was, um, but it it came up in one of the songs about standing on the word of God. Help me, which one was it? It was one of them. We sang it this morning. Come on, worship team, you guys know. It was the first one, I think. Standing on the word of God. Do you remember it? Standing on the word of God. Friends, that's what the shield of faith is. Sometimes we can do nothing else but stand on what we know God has told us to do. And we can stand on the word of God because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. There are times when God promises us things and there are three things that come at us. There are are delays, not not Lee and Jean, delays, but uh, delays, D-E-L-A-Y-S. The delays don't come at us. The delays of God come at us. Those things that that hold us back sometimes from stepping, that's the wrong season. Sometimes it's weakness from ourselves, fear and trepidation, but sometimes it's the opposition from the devil. And when the devil opposes us from the things that God has called us to be friends, you know what else? Sometimes all you can do is stand. Stand on the promises 
of God. You know what God has told you. He is faithful to fulfill his word. Stand on God's promises. The helmets of salvation. For me, the helmets of salvation speaks about identity. The Roman soldiers would wear those, those uh, golden helmets with those fancy plumes, with those, with those kind of elaborate feathers. And those, that plumage would identify which regiment or which legion they were part of. It speaks of identity. I think the helmets of salvation reminds us, speaks of the identity that we have as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. You saw that video clip, which is so powerful. What was the thing Satan said to, to Jesus? Who is your father? I don't think I'm the only one in this room who's, who's felt that accusation or had that, that, that accusation thrown at me. Who do you think you are? If you were a child of God, you would not behave that way. We need to fill our minds with the truth of how God sees us. We need to ask God repeatedly again and again to fill our minds with the reality of our identity as sons and daughters. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit for me is not just knowing God's word, but it's doing God's word. It's putting God's word into practice. It's the only offensive weapon that we're given. Matthew chapter 4 talks about that incredible uh, 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 struggle between Satan and Jesus in in, uh, in the desert. Satan knew the word of God. Jesus knew the word of God and put it into practice. This is the, the sword of the spirit for me is, is, is like when Peter says to Jesus, when he sees him walking on the water, Jesus, if that is you, tell me to come. It's the, it's the tell me to come sword, I like to call it. It's the tell me to come sword. You see, I will do anything I will do anything, and I'm being serious, I will do anything if I know Jesus has called me to do it. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. How do we put this into practice? Last two minutes. I said to you guys earlier that this, I think God wants this to become reflex. God wants us to be comfortable. God wants us to be so familiar with the devil's schemes and strategies that we can immediately identify them and we know exactly what to do. But you see, this is the struggle. It takes time to get the word of God into us. It takes time to spend in God's presence, worshiping him like we did this morning, so that we can be filled with the knowledge of how he views us. It takes time to remind ourselves that we need to be covered with the breastplate of his righteousness, not our own. It takes time to stand in the peace of God. At the moment, I'm trying to teach Caden how to, uh, he's, he's taking a, a liking to baseball. And six or seven times out of ten, he can get back and he can throw a ball into my glove. But, half, but a few of the other times, he does one of these, and the ball goes there when I'm standing there. And sometimes he does one of these and forgets how to throw. And so what I'm teaching him is every time to be deliberate. Pick up the ball, stand sideways, put your arm back, step in, and throw. And I'm trying to get that into him so that eventually it'll become second nature. But here's the problem. He hates doing what sometimes is a little bit laborious. He wants the fun things. He wants to do the fun bits. He wants to, he wants to bat. And he wants to run the bases and score a home run. And I'm like, son, you can do that when you learn the basics. And these things that I've taught this morning are not that flashy. 
We all want the exciting times in God's presence. We all want to see miracles and signs and wonders. We all want to move in those things. And I'm the same. But friends, let me tell you, the way that we can stand strong in the onslaught of the devil is not just chasing after the exciting things, but also getting these things into our hearts. Getting the word into us. Reminding ourselves of the righteousness of Jesus. Making sure that our hearts are guarded by peace. Verse 18 to 20, Paul tells us how we do this. It's through prayer. Spending time in God's presence. There was a lot more that I wanted to say, but I just feel I have gone on a little too long. And uh, God has done some amazing things this morning. And I just want to wrap up in 30 seconds by saying this. When I was praying this morning, I felt that God wanted to remind us about the power of surrender when it comes to battle. Now, you guys think that doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make sense for us to surrender to the devil. It makes absolute sense for us to surrender to Jesus because Jesus has already achieved the victory. I think there are some people who, I think we're all at times constantly bombarded by accusations, constantly bombarded by questioning our identity and our worth in God. On the other hand, I think sometimes there are some of us here who are, who are, who are afraid to step out with courage because the devil is saying this, you will never amount to very much. I want to pray for you if that's you today. If you are feeling that constant bombardment and accusation of the devil, or if you are feeling like God is calling you to something, but you're afraid to step out because the devil is saying you will never amount to very much. I'm going to ask that we just close our eyes. And if that's you, just lift your hand so that I know there are some people here. Otherwise, I'm not going to pray. Is there anyone that can identify with what I've just said? Thank you. Just put your hands down. Once you've lifted them up, this is between you and God. Father, as hands are going up across this auditorium, Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name that what you've started today, what you started in the worship today, Lord God, about grounding us in the reality of who you are, Lord, let that be what people would leave here with, knowing that they can be strong in Jesus. I pray, Father God, for wisdom upon this entire body, but especially those who are raising their hands. Wisdom to be able to identify the devil's schemes. Wisdom to be able to, to not open up their hearts to allow the devil to, 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 to bring or to bombard us with lies. But then I pray, Father God, for the, for the boldness and the tenacity and the courage to stand firm on what your word says. Let their hearts and let their minds be filled with the knowledge of Jesus. Let their hearts and minds be filled with the reality of who you are, Jesus, and who they are in you. Strengthen them, Lord, I pray. Equip your people. Give them boldness and courage. Help us all to surrender, not to the devil, but to you, Jesus, to surrender our hearts to you. Just before you open your eyes, I just want to ask if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're visiting for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a few weeks or a few months. 
but you know that you are not in relationship with God. You've tried religion. You even thought perhaps that by coming here, you would clean your life up and put yourself in a place where you can be a follower of Jesus. The way we become a follower of Jesus is simply by opening up our hands, our empty hands, and receiving the free gift of Jesus into our hearts. It's simply by confessing, by saying, God, would you be my Lord? God, I surrender my life and I ask that you would reign and rule in my heart. If you're here today, I want to encourage you and and you want to receive Jesus right where you're seated. Ask God right now, Father, would you you show your son Jesus to me? Jesus, I, I, I open my heart and I receive you into my heart as Lord and Savior. Forgive me for trying to to find meaning and purpose through the things that I own or the things that I do or even trying to find purpose in, in religion. Thank you for showing me today, Jesus, that it's not about religion. It's about relationship with you. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? Would you be the one who would lead me into all that you have for me? I give you my life. And I receive, I receive all that you want to give me. Thank you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to come and uh, introduce yourself either to me or one of the ministry team. It would be great for us just to say hi and also have a chance just to, just to, pray, just to pray with you. There is going to be a ministry team up front uh, ready to pray and ready to, to stand with you. If you are wanting prayer in any of these areas, please would you come forward Uh, trusting for breakthrough, trusting for healing, come forward and let us uh, have a chance to to minister over you. If not, there's some refreshments outside. And uh, I guess, again, just thanks uh, to all of you for, uh, for coming out this morning and enjoy Memorial Day weekend. Thanks.